0: Lord Jesus, yes we're walking together, not just in a church service, we're walking together in the zigs and zags of a life journey. And on this particular day, we've got a unique opportunity to be assembled in a way that we will never be assembled again. Never this side of heaven will this exact same group of people be gathered together. But we're here today, online in this room, because you've got us here. We're at all points on the spectrum in terms of our walk with you, what we're dealing with. For some of us, it's been a tragic week. For others of us, it's been a a triumphant week. For some of us, we're in a gap in our story. Uh, Others of us are in a climactic moment of our story. But there are as many stories as there are us, as there are people here. But those stories overlap. And we're not here just to listen as individuals, but as your people. Some of us are not yet there. We're investigating, maybe kicking the tires a little bit regarding this gospel thing. Others of us have have lost our first love. We've lost the vibrancy. Others of us are riding high. There's no way that human words, human wisdom can address everything that's going on. And that's why we're not gathered for human words and human wisdom. We're gathered to hear from you. So I confess in my friend's presence, I don't have anything to say that would be of any value unless it's rooted in your word, enabled by your spirit. And I thank you that that will be so. So I will listen along with them as you come and you speak into us so that you might love through us. I pray this in the name of the one who has loved us first. Amen. Amen. Well, I have heard from many of you about my musical tastes. Last time I was here, back in the summer, played some Keith Urban, and you said, yeah, you've done that. You've done Billy Joel, played it, you, you've talked about jazz. But I've, I've heard from a couple of you, are, do you like classical music at all? And I'm here to tell you, my, my iTunes is all over the map. It can confuse people, because my musical tastes go wide and far. And yes, I do like classical music, so let's go ahead and address that for you classical musical lovers. You guys know the thing to name that tune? You know how it works? We play it, you name it. So here we go, you classical music lovers. Let's take a listen and name that tune. All right, who is it? Who's the composer? Beethoven, very good. That's impressive right there. All right, uh, which piece by Beethoven? If somebody says sonata number 25, opus 79 in G major, I'm going to be very impressed. And you can have all the money in Vernon's wallet if you <laughs> guess that. Even more impressive would be if you can identify who the pianist is there. One of the most famous. Pianist of the 20th century. Andor Ferdish, a Hungarian pianist, he died about 25 years ago. But when he was in his 70s, he said one of the most significant moments of his life happened when he was 16 years old, and it has a little bit to do with the composer that you just heard him playing. When he was 16, it was 1929, he was in Budapest and he was deeply discouraged. He was having some conflict with his musical teacher. He was known as a prodigy, but he was backing away from a passion standpoint. And one of the greatest German pianists of of the 20th century, a guy named Emil von Sauer, was playing in Budapest, doing a a concert, and had heard of Ferdisch, and he asked if he could hear Andor Ferdish play the 16-year-old and he gladly did he he came he played some difficult works of Bach Beethoven Schumann and when Andor was finished Emil von Sauer got up walked over to him and he kissed his forehead and then he looked Andor in the eyes and he said you take good care of that kiss. I've been waiting all my life to give it to someone. At this time, Emil von Sauer was in his late 60s. He paused for a moment to let Andor digest that, and then he explained a little bit more. He said, that kiss comes from Franz Liszt. Emil von Sauer was famous for his ability, but he was also famous that he was the last surviving pupil of the great Hungarian pianist Franz Liszt from the previous century. And he said, when I was your age, Andor, I played for Franz Liszt. And he came up to me afterwards, and he kissed me on the forehead. And he said, Emil, this kiss, I give very carefully. Take care of it because it comes from Beethoven. Beethoven had heard Franz Liszt play. Beethoven was a little over child prodigies. He didn't instruct him any longer, but he heard Franz Liszt play, and he met him, and he kissed him on the forehead to affirm. Convey love, convey appreciation, and convey a sense of great esteem. And so, in this particular day at the end of the 1920s in Budapest, Andor Ferdish said it was the most significant day of his life when he received a kiss from Beethoven. I want you to be mulling over a story of someone bringing a kiss from long ago and delivering it to someone new. I want you to have that in the back of your mind. And let's take a little overview of where we are in this series. We're calling it Love Like Jesus. We're in a section of that series where we're looking at bridge building. In fact, the last two uh, weekends, Pastor Joel has talked about step one and step two of building a bridge. We're looking at the story of the woman at the well and how Jesus modeled building a bridge and the way he built a bridge to this woman. Next week and the following week, we'll look at steps three and four. So we're taking a break right in the middle in the midst of this how to build a bridge and we're going to look at the motivation behind building a bridge and really the enablement that's provided for us to build a bridge. So we're going to fast forward just for today from John 4 to John 13. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can look at the screen. This is at the beginning of what's referred to as Jesus' upper room discourse. It's the Thursday night before He gave His life on the cross for us. In fact, John says, he was about to show them the full extent of his love. And so he's, he knows he's about to give us life. They don't know that yet. But it occurred to them afterwards in realizing how important everything was that he was telling them. And he says this in verse 33, My children, now that's not a demeaning term. And you guys out there, if you think, it's a term of deep endearment a band of brothers. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. And so that frames it to say, so listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. It's extremely important. And he says this, verse 34, John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you. You say, as I, you've seen me love you, you've seen me love other people, like the woman at the well. So you've seen and you've experienced, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know. What is the church known for? If we were to take a survey, I don't think one of the top three or four answers, maybe even the top ten answers, would include our love. And part of the burden that we have here is addressed at that very reality. May the church once again be known for its love. Now, Jesus has a new command. Now, he uses the word command. A couple of things that come out immediately with that. When he says command, he's referring to something that can be violated, something that can be disobeyed. The church is evidencing that in so many ways, tragically these days, that we're disobeying that command. But there's another twist on his use of the word new command because of what he tells them he wants them to do, love. Now that Greek word for love is something you might have heard agapeo is the word there, or agape as some people refer. So he says a new command, agape. now when he says command, that gives us a hint about the meaning of the word agape. In English, we've got the one word love, and it means so many different things. I love my dog, I love my car, you know, I I, I love my boat, I love my, my wife. Really, you love all those the same? No, those are different kinds of love. In Greek, you have different words. There's phileo for friendship love or eros for erotic love. But the word that Jesus uses there is a, a word that's distinctly Christian. You don't see it much in classical Greek literature, agapia. And agape is not, not primarily an emotional word. It doesn't mean emotion isn't attached to it. But it's something that goes far deeper than just mere emotion. It's not like, hey, you give me some warm fuzzies so I love you. You just do this for me, so I love you. Jesus is saying, a command I give you. Now, if it were just an emotion, you can't command an emotion. Right now, be happy. Right now, be sad. Right now, be excited. You know, we can't command emotions. But volitional choices and actions can be commanded, which is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I want you to agape one another. It's not just this dry, rote behavior. I mean, Peter writes that out of the depth of his heart, he loves them. So the heart is engaged. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, out of deep love, I'm writing these difficult things so we can be speaking difficult truth. Agape covers a lot of territory, but it comes under this one little pinpoint of a command that it is a volitional choice, but it's not only that. Agape, in its definition, in its essence, Is unconditional. I'm not responding to you. I'm unconditionally loving. I'm choosing to love you in an unconditional way. And so Jesus says, "As I have agape of you." So now let's bring that to this notion of bridge building. Anybody here? If somebody were to come to you, a construction company. And they're building a bridge that you're about to drive over and you start talking to them and they say, you know, we were trying to cut some costs, so we decided to extricate, get rid of all the mathematicians. We don't want any math involved in this bridge. We just wanna we just wanna do it kind of how we feel is appropriate. You'd say I don't think I'm going to drive over that bridge. Math is a critical part of bridge building. So what we're going to do, we've been talking about building a bridge and looking at the how. Today, and are looking at the motivation behind bridge building and really the enablement, why should we want to build a bridge, how are we able to, we're going to, we're going to do the math of the bridge. And there's an equation that I'm going to give you. It has two addends and a sum. Here's the first addends, the first element, the first component. You you have to add these two together, and here's the first one. Jesus says, experience my love. And this math of bridge building, the first thing that we're supposed to focus on, is His love. And experience it. You Go back to the text, verse 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. He says, love one another, but he doesn't just say, okay, go figure it out. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, where this all starts is your experience of my love. He's speaking out of that. And so often when it comes to building bridges, let's go ahead and be honest here. All of us during this series at one moment or another are thinking, I don't know that I really want to build a bridge. Where does that come from? It has everything to do not with who we're looking at, Because agapeo, that type of love doesn't make its decisions about whether to love or not by who is being loved. Agapeo makes its decision about where it's getting love in the first place, and we're getting our love from Jesus. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's what motivates us to build the bridge in the first place as he has loved us. So if we're to love as he has loved us, it only makes sense to talk about how he loves us. We could go on and on. Let me just give you four characteristics of how you and I are loved. How does Jesus love us? Because we've got to understand that if we're gonna give that love away and we're gonna extend it to other people. Uh, First characteristic, I'll spend the most time on this one. Jesus accepts you and me unconditionally. That's one way He loves us. He accepts us. You don't have to audition for His love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And immediately, we've heard that verse, many of us, over and over, but we don't really believe that it's not an audition. We're talking with the worship team. Let's just say I had some musical evaluation ability. We're doing some real pretending right now. And let's just say that Tim and the team were needing some help with auditions and we ran out of time for an audition of a song that we're going to do later in the fall. And let's just say that Tim said, why don't we do the audition in front of you guys? I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to see these people, really how they can do it. Because you know what? Auditions are necessary for this worship team. So. We thought, uh, let's give it a try. Tim, you're here, you wanna give it a try? All right, so Tim's gonna come up and he's gonna play a song. So the way we're gonna do this, you guys have seen the, the show, The Voice. I mentioned that to you a while back. I mean, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a very unique way of having an audition on The Voice. They have four big red chairs. I know this is black, but you can pretend. And those, fig, those, those big red chairs have a celebrity judge sitting in them, and their backs are turned to the stage, and the vocalists that you and I as a TV audience, get to know, we, they come out on stage, so we know them, but the judges don't. don't even know their name. And the judges are waiting to hear this person start singing, and they're sitting in this chair that's been rigged up with a button. And if they like this person, they like what they're hearing, if they approve of this person, if they love what's happening with this person and they want to be their coach, they hit that button, the chair swivels around, and that action itself, them turning their chair around to that vocalist says, I accept you. I like what I'm hearing. You get the opportunity to continue on the show and I want to be your coach. So it's awesome when a judge turns their chair. It's also a little awful when they don't. You go back and forth, but it's really a creative way to do the audition, so uh, what do you think? Let's do it, let's, let's do it like uh, this. You guys all right. now the audience participates as well. You can kind of help the judges along and so forth, and uh, so how many people do we have? Three. All right, so one at a time, they're gonna come up, and let's see who gets to be part of this song coming up in the fall. So t- t- tell me your name. i Lori. Lori, that's tremendous. Obviously, you've got some history with singing somewhere down the line. And that was pretty phenomenal. I, I-, I think she's definitely somebody that we need to have involved. So welcome. Tell her you're glad she's going to continue on. That's great. All right. So got another one? All right. Hey, um, you know, I've been working on another part of my voice, and I'd like to try this song a little differently. Lori did it fine, but uh, could we do it higher? Could you raise it up a little bit? Raise it. Yeah, a little more, a little more. Yeah, I've been working with my voice teacher, and I think, yeah, work going on a little further, a little more, a little higher. Yeah, a little higher. That's it. can tell you really want to sing i mean that's uh it's something that i, I know you've, you you've worked hard at it i can tell i can just tell how much you care about this and and you know what i, I want you to keep caring um <laughs> regarding this particular piece that we're going to do later this this fall and your involvement in that i, I just want to free up your future and just you, you can do some other things um instead of that particular song with us, but you, you hang in there. I want you to know, I, I, you know, I, I love you. I, I'm grateful for, for how hard you tried, and, uh, but maybe next time. Okay, would you guys, tell, tell him thank you. Uh, yeah. uh, you got anybody else for, okay, all right. Angel, it, it is so good to see you here. And I want you to know uh, that's just phenomenal. Uh, in terms of, I know for, when you were 10 years old, the first time you sang in church in Evanston, Illinois, you have been doing amazing things. I know your husband Jesse and your two boys love hearing you sing. The nurses at the hospital, I, I know they love hearing you at any time. And this, this, is, this is great to have you here. We definitely definitely Once you involved. I want you to know I just value who you are and the fact that you're here. Congratulations. we got two out of three. That's not, not, that's not bad, so uh, welcome. You guys come on up. I want you to know these three people, they represent where every one of us is at one time or another in terms of our view of God's posture towards us. Some of us think, okay, if I can just perform well enough, if I can just be good enough, God will love me. Jesus will turn His chair towards me if I get everything lined up just right. And we're consumed with trying to earn His smile. Others of us wake up And it seems like we've screwed up before we even get out of bed. (laughs) We're trying to be somebody that we're not. And we just feel like there's no way God's going to turn His chair towards us because we've messed up so much. Oh yeah, He says He loves us because the Bible says so. He kind of looks over His shoulder but He never turns His chair. And we live with that sense of shame, of not measuring up. But it's a powerful day when we start realizing that the Gospel says that God turns His chair towards us before we ever sing a note. And He says, I love you. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Thank you. Romans, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I let me put it a different way. It means that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He accepts us unconditionally. Some of you are freaking out right now. They will, but wait a minute. Behavior is important. Obedience is important. Of course it is. Following and being obedient to the path of life that He prescribes is important. But my obedience is meant to be a response to the acceptance that I've already given. At this moment, in Christ Jesus, God could not love you any more than He does right now. No amount of performance, no amount of behavior, no amount of religiosity. It's going to bridge the gap. I mean for us to think, we all have those moments, we think if I behave in just the right way I'll get God to love me. That, that shrinks God and elevates us if we think that we can earn the favor of the infinite Holy God by our behavior. It's impossible. Instead of us saying who are you and why don't you impress me a little bit more. Or instead of us saying I'm going to be somebody I'm not. And as a result, mess up anymore. We wake up realizing God knows our name. He knows our story. And he says, I accept you unconditionally. I'm towards you. I'm for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power Paul's writing this to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Northland that you may have power together with all the Saints power to do something to grasp something And to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we think the fact that God would turn his chair towards us before we ever sing a note is too good to be true. And that's why it's called the gospel. It's good news. And too many of us don't think the gospel is really that great of news. And it's because... We're focusing more on us than on Him. Jesus says, as I've loved you, do I know it's love? Am I growing in that? Does it mean that I stay where where, where in, in angel's place the whole time? No. There are days that act like glory, and other days act like Vernon, and usually it's all mixed in. But the more mature I become in Christ, the more aware I am of the unconditional acceptance of God, the more I become like angel the more I grasp the Gospel. And then the more I begin responding through my lifestyle, through my my choices. Here's a second characteristic. Jesus says, as I've loved you, He accepts us. He's accepted you. But then another way He loves us, He serves our needs. He serves. Jesus takes up the time. I'm not referring to He's not a cosmic vending machine. Whatever we want, He says, oh, I'm here. Now, our needs, not necessarily our wants. Many times our wants, even though we would like him to to fulfill our wants, those wants would do us more damage than good. But he knows our needs. He fills us. What's our ultimate need? It's, It's our sin being dealt with. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. It's referring to Jesus being our high priest. One who is holy and blameless and pure. He's set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So, but it's not just our spiritual need that Jesus serves. He, he, serves, he cares about our, our other needs, emotional, relational, financial, physical. And all of us, yes, we've got wants. We're talking about needs. Matthew 6, verse 8, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Philippians 4, verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Where where does that come from? It comes from His love, His loving posture towards us. Jesus says, as I have loved you, we better be aware of how we're loved. We're loved in the sense of Him accepting us unconditionally. We're loved in the sense of Him serving our need. Here's a third characteristic of that love. He comforts our hearts. Christ's love is exhibited in the way that He comforts us in times of storm, in times of real stress. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love. Psalm 119 verse 76, God may your unfailing love be my comfort. All right, read that again. May your unfailing love. What kind of love? Unfailing. What do you think that means about his love? I think it means his love's unfailing. He says, I got you. I got you. He accepts us unconditionally. He says, I love you. Serves our need. He says, I got this, Matt. I got this taken care of. Trust me. He comforts my heart. My heart, He says, I've got you. But there's a fourth characteristic of the way that that we're loved by Jesus, and it's this. He commits His presence to us. He commits His presence. He doesn't just say, I love you, I got this, I got you. He says, I'm here. Some of you are going through one of the darkest stages of your life. He loves you. He's here, He's with you. Romans chapter 8 verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or bills, or divorce papers, or job stuff, or an F at school, or rejection from friends, or news from a doctor, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No! Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God is with you and he's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he says, God loves us. God loves you as if you were the only one to love. The whole notion of God's omnipresence, omni, all, everywhere, presence, present, everywhere. It's not just a stale theological term that stays up on some uh, professor's shelf. His omnipresence means He can love you fully, and you, and you, and you, and you, all at the same time, fully present loving us. No wonder John says in his epistle in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 see what great love. The Greek word he uses for great there is potapos. It means get a load of this. Bust out the ceiling, knock out the walls, do away the floor. You can't contain how great the Father's love. And he says see what great love the Father has doled out? No. Lavished on us that we should be called His kids. And that's what we are. Now, I've got to accept that love. I've got to receive that love. That's what's implored in the gospel is receive the love of God. Not the the Laurie kind of love where we got to perform, not the Vernon kind of love where we're overwhelmed with our inadequacies, but the angel kind of love where we didn't do nothing, we just received His love. Now, Now we respond. Now, let me ask you a question. What would it be like... For God to love you, and you, and you, and you, and you, more than you dare dream, he does. You and I, Paul writes, to a church he loved dearly. He said, I want to make sure you get this. You can't imagine. You cannot imagine how much you're loved. Now, if I actually started embracing that and believing that, how would it change the way I live? How would it change the way that I wake up in the morning and start my day realizing God's chairs turned toward me? How would it change my relationships knowing that I'm already loved by God? I don't have to extract from somebody else what only God can give me. How would it change my, my conversations? How would that awareness and that conviction that I'm loved more than I dare dream, how would it change my bridge building approach? He says how great the Father's love is, but then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Last week, Pastor Joel read how this bridge building, the foundation is later, a couple of verses later than this, where Paul says, we have, we've been made ministers of reconciliation. We've been made ministers to build bridges. But this is the motivation. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. The more that we experience His love, that's what motivates and it's what enables the bridge building. So let's go back to our bridge building math. The math that enables a bridge to be built in the first place. Addends number one. Component number one. Experience Christ's love. But then to that needs to be added this. Extend His love to others. Jesus is saying, these both must be added together. As I have loved you, go back to verse verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Anybody ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? It's true. When people have been hurt, they hurt other people. But let me tell you, the converse is also true. Loved people love people. In fact, you can tell a lot about how loved I sense that I am by how I'm loving other people or not loving other people. I'm not going to be loved and embrace that love fully and not love others. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about the difference between a pipe and a bucket and, and plumbing theology. But when, you, when God's love comes into a bucket, it stagnates and becomes something other than what it was in the first place. It becomes a religious word, that's all. But if it comes into a pipe, if we're pipes of His love, all of a sudden His, his love flows through us, other people, and there's something that happens in that process. It's pointed out in First John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. So this is where it all starts, he said. It starts not with us drumming up something. It starts with God loving us. He's the one that takes the first step in this dance. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now that phrase, made complete in us, powerful. It means, you know, God's never going to love you and me more than He does right now. We've established that, yes? But the degree to which I actually experience His love is amplified and propelled and filled out when I begin to give that love away. I'm loving others, all of a sudden I start experiencing God's love more and it's this this free flow of the love of God. The dance starts with His love of us, but the dance continues. Yes, as I love Him back in submission and worship, but then as I begin to love other people, His love is made complete. Now, what is our love for other people supposed to look like? We're, this, this love is to motivate us to build the bridge, so what's the love look like? Jesus said, as I have loved you, so love others. So let's go back and look. Just review those four characteristics quickly. What are they? How are we to love other people? We pattern our love love for others. We pattern it after Christ's love for us. Here's the first one. We accept others unconditionally. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then. Uh, 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 Here you go. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, this chair, there are actually two of them in this mix. One is God's chair towards me, and once He's turned His chair towards me, He says, now you go and turn your chair towards the people in your life. I don't approve. Hello? Is that what we're talking about here? It's not talking about approving. It's talking about accepting. They've got flaws. The last time I looked in the mirror, I had some. It's not a matter of me saying, hey, I understand everything about you and I agree with everything. That ain't, that's never going to happen. But this is a fellow human being created, mago Dei, in the image of God, a walking image of God, wherever he or she is in their journey, their lifestyle, their circumstance, their circumstances, their posture. None of that makes any difference because it made no difference with God before he turned his chair towards me. He says, Matt, I've accepted you. You accept them. How powerful it would be for our culture to see the church as a chair turned toward them. It does not mean anything, having it has nothing to do with compromising truth, our convictions, our doctrinal distinctives, none of that. It means letting the love of Jesus invade how we treat one another as fellow human beings, building bridges to say, I accept you, and not attaching conditions on that acceptance, saying, I'll accept you if you'll listen to my message. Some will, some won't. We still accept them. And they can pick up real quickly. I've got a friend whose brother was doing a Ph.D. at a university, and his supervisor is... is, is in, it was in um, uh, biomedicine, biology, molecular biology is what he was doing his PhD in. And notice, I can barely pronounce it, much less imagine what that's like. A year under the supervisor in the doctoral program of a guy who was a very religious guy. And the supervisor was trying to convert this brother of a friend of mine. Finally, about about a year after he started, he told the supervisor, it's not going to happen. I'm not going your way. I'm not going to adopt your religious views. The supervisor dropped him, dropped him with consequences that caused this young man to have to repeat almost an entire year. Religious people know a lot about this. The gospel people know a lot about this. And we accept each other. It doesn't stop there, though. We take up the towel and we serve one another. He says, as I have loved you, I accept you. I turn my chair towards you, and I turn my chair towards you to serve your needs. That's the second characteristic of what our love, crossing that bridge, needs to look like. We're we're all of a sudden, we're serving others' needs. Philippians chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the spirit of any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe how Jesus became a servant. Serving not our wants, but our needs. Augustine writes, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. Love has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men and women. That is what love looks like. Which is why John says in 1 John three eighteen, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Oh, for the day. And that is our dream here at Northland in concert with many other churches to, to first see chairs turned towards men and women that are outside of this, this church realm to accept them. It doesn't mean approving, but it means accepting and embracing and then serving unconditionally. And then it will, it will involve a third characteristic. Jesus says, as I've loved you, I want you to love others. Here's the third one. Remember, He comforts our hearts. So what does our love look like? It means it looks like us comforting. Just caring and compassion. Not saying, hey, you start agreeing with me religiously, I'll care for you. No, I'm going to care for you regardless. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our, all our troubles, so that we can, what, be a bucket, go over into our religious corner and say, hey, how wonderful this is. No, he says, so that we can be a pipe and comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I don't know if you guys saw, last weekend, uh, the reports about the World Triathlon Championships in Cozumel. A friend of mine, his name's Hunter Kemper, Hunter's parents actually go uh, to Northland. And uh, Hunter lives on Colorado Springs. We actually had breakfast one morning the day before the uh, event in Rio. This is the first time in five Olympics and Hunter has not been representing USA in uh, the triathlon. So he knew the entire field well. He's now retired. He was telling me about two brothers from England, the Brownlee brothers, Alistair and Johnny. And so I was aware of who they were and they won gold and silver in Rio. Well, last week it was reversed. Alistair at the Olympics won gold and Johnny won silver. Last weekend, coming around to the final stretch, just a few hundred meters from the finish line, Johnny was in the lead. Alistair was second. And Johnny all the chemicals went awry, which happens in endurance events Sometime, All of a sudden, he kind of loses. You could tell. You can look at the video. Look it up. He's stumbling around. He doesn't even know where, where he is. He's, he's veering. Looks like he's, he's about to topple over. Alistair saw that, and instead of coming up and passing his brother so that he could be both the gold medal winner in the Olympics and the gold medal winner in the world championship, he stops. And he puts his brother's arm around him, comforts him, says, it's OK, we can do this together. And they stumbled to the finish line, which enabled the guy that was in third place to zoom past. That guy from Spain, he won the gold. And when Johnny and Alistair got to the finish line, Alistair stopped and pushed Johnny over the finish line to get second, and he got the bronze. Who in my life has experienced that for me? Better question, who in my life will experience that for me this coming week? The same with you. Fourth characteristic. Parallel to how Jesus has loved me, he says, I want you to love others. That'll mean accepting. That'll mean serving. That'll mean comforting. But what's the fourth characteristic? The way that Jesus loves us? He commits his presence to us. And we're to commit our presence to the people around. Committing ourselves to be present in other people's lives. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be involved in one another's life. I was traveling back from Africa and made a stop in Europe and was flying in the middle of the night back. So, and I was trying to help with jet lag, stay up. So I was watching movies. One movie I watched, this was several years ago, is a movie, Shall We Dance? Guys, from before you judged me too much, I also had watched a couple of movies with gunshots and explosions and screeching tires. So there was a good balance here. But I'm watching this movie. Susan Sarandon stars in it. And she responds to a question in the midst of the movie about why marriage. And it goes deeper than that. It, it, it addresses why, why intimate close relationships. I liked it so much I rented it when I got back so I could write down this quote. My wife was very impressed that I rented the movie Shall We Dance. Here's the quote where she sees, and I'm going I'm to change the word marriage to relationships. She said, the, she said, the reason that we need relationships in our lives is we need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. I mean, what does one life really mean? but in a marriage you're promising to care about everything, the good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things, all of it, all the time, every day. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be You're witness. You're not alone. And you add those two together. Us experiencing Christ's love authentically. And then us extending His love. You know what the result is? We exhibit His love. May the world know Jesus says, by this will people know that you're my disciples. By the way that you are responding to the Father's love in such a way that you love and therefore show yourself to be my disciples. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank You that You love us like You do. Thank You that You accept us and You serve our needs and You comfort us and You're present with us. And, oh God, may You use each of us individually as part of a larger community to be so fixated on the way that You gave up Your life for us that we might give up our lives for the people around us and thereby exhibit not by the size of our Bibles or the size of our church buildings but by the condition of our hearts that have been rescued demonstrate that we're yours and that we're your people